Welcome to the Et Alia podcast, hosted by Peter Kranitz and Brad Davis. Each episode focuses on a concept that represents a fundamental issue in contemporary life, examining it through works of culture and philosophy that help us understand its impact and explain our present situation. Jonah, want to tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, my name is uh, Jonah Svias. Um, yeah, I live in Portland, and I'm a, I'm a writer, um, mostly in marketing, but uh, I, do, I do do some uh, creative stuff as well. Um, not as much as I'd like to do, but got bills to pay, so... That's kind of what's going on in my life. Right on, man. Um, <laughs> then you are stuck with Peter and I yet again. As always, sincerest apologies to our listener for that, but here we are. Um, <laughs> see, today we brought Jonah on to discuss a book that I read for the first time earlier in this quarantine that I think is really incredible by one of my favorite authors, Tao Lin. Um, it's called Trip, Psychedelics, Alienation, and Change. It's like a hybrid of like a memoir, a trip diary, and like a biography of Terrence McKenna. Does that sound about right? I, it, it's like a weird structure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the I think the book is kind of all over the place, and that's kind of the fun of reading it. One of you want to give us some background on, I mean, maybe Tao Lin, I don't know a ton about him, but also Terrence McKenna. What, what's that dude's deal? Um, we can start with with Tao Lin just as as some background. So he's a he's a contemporary writer. Obviously, this book came out. I think it was twenty sixteen, maybe twenty seventeen, um, but just a couple years ago. But he was he's kind of one of the main figures in the movement. It's pretty popular, maybe ten years or so ago, called Alt Lit, which is basically just people writing uh, in this very sort of internet inflected, very flat. Um, auto fictional style and he was one of the main kind of figures in that movement his novel uh taipei was really well received when it came out um this book was 2018 by the way uh but the sort of very flat very just kind of distanced alienated type narrative style and then so he uh you know, lots of drugs, mostly like pharmaceuticals and things like that, were present in his previous books, mostly pulled from his real experience as he kind of goes into in this one. Um, but this book was kind of catalyzed by his experiences watching a, a bunch of Terrence McKenna YouTube videos, basically, and uh, reading a bunch of Terrence McKenna books, then getting into psychedelics and inspired to use them as a sort of life-changing tool like a self-help tool through that uh do either of you more know about terence mckenna than i did because i didn't really know a whole lot about him until i started reading this book um no i mean i i think this was mostly this book was my source for information on uh terence mckenna and i i think for a lot of a lot of time i just kind of grouped him into um well i mean i guess like as a kid growing up, 
I was like maybe middle school, maybe fifth grade. And my brother and I would always watch like Drugs Inc. And it was like a Nat Geo show. And from a very early age, I feel like I got a really comprehensive, sometimes scary, sometimes uh, incredibly uh, interesting look at kind of drug history, drug culture, and drug policing. And so, like, I probably when I was in sixth grade, I could name off, rattle off like a bunch of you know, drug, either producers or, uh, you know, people who were kind of famous. But Terrence McKenna was always a name that I just assumed went with Timothy Leary. Um, mm-hmm. But I think now uh, that's, you know, after reading this, it's a little more nuanced than that. It definitely seems like he came uh, after Timothy Leary and has a much more nuanced approach to um, kind of this almost like a anthropological look at psychedelics. Yeah, I could be mistaken. Uh, this might just be other sort of more like 21st century people who are uh, psychedelic advocates, but I think that Terrence McKenna actually was not a fan of Timothy Leary and what he was doing because it was so uh, kind of unrigorous in a way. Like how you said that Terrence McKenna seems to have a very like anthropological approach. He takes it very much as like a uh, psychedelics as being part of human evolution, as being part of human society through that. Where Timothy Leary was just into drugs, I guess. <laughs> seems to be my my understanding of that more. <laughs> the anthropological dimension made this far more interesting to me than I expected. I think. At a similar age as Jonah, maybe a little bit older, middle school or something, uh, I, I read uh, Doors of Perception by by Huxley and his sort of discussion of, I think, uh, particularly peyote and psilocybin. Mescaline was the one uh, that he has the, uh, the journal on, yeah. That's right, that's right, that's right. Mescaline. Um, and that was wildly entertaining to seventh or eighth grade Brad. Um, it was a fun, uh, forbidden read kind of thing, but also didn't seem that interesting. Uh, it, it was just, it, it, it yeah, it, I, I don't know why, but I didn't like it and have liked it less in retrospect. Um, whereas McKenna seems like in, actually interesting individual with with some insight derived from these experiences yeah he's really fascinating so i sought out i listened to one of the lectures that that taolin uh, mentioned several times in this i can't remember what it how what it was called eros something or other um but he, he's fascinating like he has like some of the most engaging speaking that i've ever listened to and it's all extemporaneous so he doesn't have any notes or anything prepared and he's very much of the idea uh, that Huxley was not of the idea that everyone should have psychedelic experiences be available to them and should uh, use them if they so choose to to better the world more or less to 
take this like greater connection to to nature and to the world around them and to find ways to personally better themselves and their relationships with other people in the planet which is where Tao Lin kind of really picked up and was inspired by by that aspect of it whereas Huxley if I'm not mistaken his thing was that like only like the the masters of the universe type should be the ones who are introduced to psychedelics and everybody else should remain sheep more or less and let the those who have been deemed to be able to handle it and to have the the greater insight those who are already in control to take psychedelics is that is that accurate yeah i think that is the case um and maybe some parallels to our last episode on cape fear there sort of that the idea of huxley seems much more uh into sort of conquering the psychedelic experience and um elevating himself through through it whereas mckenna at least as lynn's presenting him has a really humbling approach to his insights and to the way he he observes the world which was interesting are there any specific parts of uh mckenna via taolin that you guys found particularly interesting or that were surprising um i'm just looking back through my uh yeah my bookmarks and i'm not I don't know why I bookmarked some of this. It seemed that I was on some kind of psychedelic influence while I was reading through this. I I had one that I loved. Um, and so Lynn's talking about reading Sartre and trying to get into existentialism as a younger man and not really finding it that compelling. Uh, and then he talks... There, I'm going to read this. Uh, McKenna's talking, uh, Lynn's talking about McKenna saying, he argued in a manner I found compelling and revelatory that nature was not, as Sartre said, mute, but that obviously it were people, it was people who were deaf. The myth of our society is the existential myth that we are cast into matter, that we are lost in a universe that has no meaning for us, that we must make our meaning. This is what Sartre, Kierkegaard, all those people are saying, that we must make our meaning. It reaches its most absurd expression in Sartre's statement that nature is mute. And I really, really like this criticism and the idea of opening up your ears and like actually taking the time to, to try and observe or experience or appreciate the beauty of the world uh, rather than, than trying to necessarily just create it or, or bring it into existence. Now, just just really quickly, and I think this is something that bothered me about Trip, and it, it seems like our our the sentiment that we keep talking about is that uh, you know Terence McKenna looked at this as you know uh, gaining empathy and uh, a connection through you know all of nature and humanity and providing you know more meaning. Um, but if we go specifically and you know, stop me if I'm jumping jumping the gun on this, but if we go specifically into the trips that Taolin describes in his book, they don't seem to really capture this energy or spirit. Yeah, I think we should let's turn to the, the trip journal parts of this, because these are like 
this is kind of the sexiest part of the book, you know, when he's talking about all the drugs he does. Um, uh, there's, what are they? He has DMT, psilocybin, salvia, and cannabis are the ones that he focuses on. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying about it not quite capturing that sort of transcendent element that, that McKenna talks about. But I feel like part of that's just by nature of trying to describe in words the undescribable, right? Like that's part of the the psychedelic experience is being pulled so far out of a world in which you can describe or articulate anything to the point that it's all so unfamiliar and you're returning to it as almost something so warm and comforting and beautiful in that it's articulable in a way, right? What did you think of the, so that, was it the two and a half gram psilocybin trip, his leave society trip where he like threw away his computer and like deleted all social media accounts and everything. <laughs> and, and maybe I'm missing the point of this, but um, I don't know. It just seems like a bad, I don't know, not a bad experience, but it seems like these are things that he could have come to, well, maybe not that he could have come to upon, you know, deep personal reflection that mm -hmm. maybe there is this, you know, kind of pent up uh, anxiety or uh, stress about, you know, his attachments to a virtual world or to a world that a professional world uh, that seems to manifest in him deleting everything and throwing out his computer and then hours later, regretting that and buying a new computer. <laughs> I mean, the whole, I, you know, it, it was just kind of weird to read somebody who was so, uh, somebody who is so interested in it that he chose this uh, experience um, to kind of highlight uh, his experiences with psilocybin. Yeah, it seems like a, a particular, particularly like impotent type of results. You know, he doesn't really the physical, the material changes he tries to manifest in that moment. He ends up immediately regretting once he comes down off the trip. Um, as a side note, though, his novel, his new novel that comes out next year, is called Leave Society. Um, just the that phrase used to describe that particular trip, and it's supposed to be very stylistically different from his previous novels. My guess will probably be a little bit less. Um, alienated and uh sort of clinical in a way i don't know i'd be very curious to read that novel with the title of of that trip <laughs> um and see how that compares and i don't i don't know what he's been doing with his life since he published this book or since then i don't know if he's actually had any like luck leaving society or whatever uh but yeah i, I totally hear what you're saying and it seems like there's almost something incredibly uh, selfish and navel-gazy about the way that he goes about having this uh, transcendent personal revelation, right? He doesn't go out and decide that he needs to, you know, do whatever to change the world. He just decides to change his own material conditions. <laughs> and that, my biggest skepticism, uh, I suppose, of, like, this psychedelic experimentation and the literature around it is at least in the psilocybin section it doesn't seem like 
the insight. I I don't see why the drugs are necessary to get this insight. It, it seems like the same sort of difficult, certainly, but thoughtful reflection, meditation, really examining one's own life would come to some of the same conclusions. I, I don't get where this doesn't inspire me to do psilocybin. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair criticism. I think that at the same time, though, the thing with psychedelics, they pull you really outside of, of a regular experience. And uh, give me a second while I find the passage. I am an idiot and didn't actually bookmark anything. But I'll kind of ramble my way through this. Um, there is a part where he's talking about what Terrence McKenna says happens when you do psychedelics. Um and one of them is just like something on the lines of like a total bottom of page 102 ah, maybe no but that's great too that's an awesome section that we should come back Sorry. to um no it was in the psilocybin section and he talks about how it sort of just completely breaks down all of like your your kind of pre any sort of like mental barrier you have or may may have to anything it makes you just so much more susceptible and vulnerable to new thoughts and experiences and things like that i can't i cannot find it but it's in there somewhere i'm sure it's in there <laughs> you just got to read it now everybody who's listening you got to find this for for us got to read it and you got to find the specific passage and let me know what page it's on because I have Perfect. no idea. Okay. Uh, I think I think I'm looking at page 81. Um, psychedelic experiences, I'm quoting from the book, psychedelic experiences uniquely combine safety and intensity. Um, without psilocybin, I don't see the imagination brightly with details well awake. I don't realize I am alien occupying Taoist, sob profusely, uh, delete my website, feel outside time, etc., etc. Um, psilocybin removed me from the creodes of my habits and provoked me into long-term change. So I think it's just it's that idea that it puts you somewhere you otherwise wouldn't be mentally or that would be more difficult to get to uh it pulls you outside of normal experience to not not even reflect on it just to experience other ways of being in the world though i certainly don't think that psychedelics is the only way to do that it seems to be a particularly effective and profound way to do so What did you guys think about uh, Terrence McKenna referring to, like, the psilocybin mushroom as a specific entity, as, like, a, an alien creature of some sort that was, like, a, a physical existing thing that he encounters on his trips that is real in the world? I, I thought all of Terrence McKenna's um, theories or uh, ideas on both the mushroom existing as you described it, but also I think the one that the one that I latched onto was uh, talking about uh, DMT and aliens. 
and yeah. the only time that aliens feel like they can actually communicate with us is when we are on dmt <laughs> i love It'll, that idea it only that, makes sense right that sounds straight out of joe rogan though oh yeah i mean where do you think joe rogan got it from <laughs> uh, i mean where do you think joe rogan got it from <laughs> uh no, yeah, I, I love that. I think it's one of the most interesting things about psychedelics to me is that even though it's an experience that you know isn't real and tangibly happening, it is uh, brought on by a, a drug, by something that you ingested to alter your, your consciousness, it feels just as real as the rest of your life does, as as your world on a day-to-day non-psychedelic uh, experience does. So this this way that Terrence McKenna and, and uh, Talon and following Terrence McKenna tries to reconcile this idea of these spaces and things that one encounters while under the influence of these that feel so real by sort of just almost circumventing that, that feels part and just calling them real was really interesting. Because I, th- I think substantively it's really hard to kind of separate that uh, in retrospect from a psychedelic experience, right? And I, just to just to build off of this, um, there's a section in the uh, DMT chapter um, where uh, Taolin talks about uh, the time that McKenna introduced DMT to a Tibetan Lama. Um, and I'll, I'll read this passage um, he, Terence McKenna, introduced a Tibetan Lama, quote, a name that you would recognize, although not one of the top five, but a more wizened, older, stranger character, to DMT, and the Lama said it was the lesser lights, that one couldn't go further without breaking the threat of return. McKenna concluded, this has to be taken seriously. In other words, the it's only a hallucination thing, that's horseshit. It's just passe. I mean, reality is only a hallucination for crying out loud. Haven't you heard? <laughs> and oh, I so I think, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, there's something else. There's some other Netflix special on, I think maybe it's called Have a Nice Trip or I, I can't remember, but it came out recently. It was produced by Ben Stiller and it was kind of very strange to watch, but um they have, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting who it is. I want to, ooh, I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. I just want to make sure. Take your yeah. time, man. <laughs> I think it's Deepak Chopra. Not entirely sure. But... <laughs> Um, he says that, you know, reality is just a collective hallucination. Um, or no, it's a, I'm butchering this. I can't retract everything that I just said. You can edit it out in post. It's okay. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Here it is. It's collective. Um, collective. There is no such thing as objectivity there's just collective subjectivity Mm. 
and I feel like there was a lot of interesting conversation, especially within the DMT section about um, kind of subjective realities, um, especially talking about the whole like weird language, um, anti-language and like communicating without saying anything in like mm. Terrence McKenna's experiments doing that with his brother. Um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Well, I, I th thought, uh, that visual communication was interesting and it comes up, uh, even back in the psilocybin, uh, segment, he's talking about how McKenna was theorizing that, that if humans by genetic modification, could produce more endogenous DMT, we would be able to visually communicate and starts talking about uh, octopods, uh, octopi, uh, about how each octopus will move their body and change it and communicate like sort of via dance, sort of via color changes and, and this visual unspoken language wherein the person even more than, than just our, our speech becomes... Um, becomes the substance and medium uh, and form of, of the message. And I thought that was really interesting. How do you think that would work? Like, what do you think that would look like? <laughs> I have no idea what that would look like. I guess part, I guess the point is that we, we wouldn't be able to know unless we were at that, that point. <laughs> yeah, the ring structures and everything breaks you through the par the barrier of of time and you can see the past present and future all at once that sounds about right related to this too though i think is also the just shared or the the commonalities between trip reports for dmt in particular they all have very much the same uh, same things happening, right? There's that, that section that uh, one of you guys pointed to earlier and I was trying to find the part that I couldn't um, on page 102 uh, or I guess 100 through 102 where Terrence Malick or Terrence McKenna, not Terrence Malick, different guy uh, describes uh, like a composite DMT trip, what the average DMT trip looks like uh, that has been like experimentally shown to also be very, very consistent, uh, which also draws into question that idea of, of the subjective reality, the objective reality, and whether or not there is actually a real DMT hyperspace of some sort that everyone does encounter in a very similar way, or if it's all just in the mind, or if there's any difference between that. Is that even a meaningful distinction? Or is everything that I just said gibberish? Well, I think okay. So this is I'm on the I'm on the digital version, so I might have different page numbers. But this is the uh, the Rick Strassman Strassman uh, study uh, on DMT. There's uh, that part, and then there's the composite of composites part. Do I think that it comes right before the Rick Strassman? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess two sections before. Just okay, before. yeah. Um, yep, there it is. Uh, I guess what I was going to add with the, the Strassman um, study, I love this section 
because it seemed like there is very similar things happening in everybody's um, trip, uh, like the, you know, how he describes in the composite of composites. Um, however, people seem to perceive these, you know, cartoon-like people, aliens, guides, helpers, reptiles, mantises. There, there's always something there. It's just what like people experience it differently um or they like articulate it differently right it seems right. like they, they tend to have very similar experiences with the thing it's just the way they describe it doesn't doesn't line up exactly right. except for the guy who gets mounted by the two crocodiles <laughs> yeah that poor guy that that was terrifying to read yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, you're just going to have to read the book to, uh, get the, the details on that. It's, it's a tough break. That's like, what, there was 50 volunteers or something like that. And, and one he of was them... the one. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, you know, or 400 to 60, 400 doses, to 60 volunteers. And that was the one bad experience. Right. Right. Ooh. And it is an awful, awful experience. Yeah. <laughs> Just started reading that and got immersed in it. Um, <laughs> it is, it's really evocative. It's very yeah. vivid imagery. Is there any coming back from that? Hello? Are we there? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it does appear <laughs> to say that the writing is, is phenomenal. Each time I look down and try and pull out a quote i just start reading the whole paragraph and then and then the next one and kind of tune out the conversation um it it is really i'm going to have to read taipei it's it's amazing i like we should return to discuss that at another time there's there's a lot to that too um but yeah, no, it's uh, he, his writing's incredible, and for such like a, a spare prose style and such like simplistic language, for the most part, it's amazing how uh, vivid it can be. Well, I think this is so. The beginning of the DMT section starts off um, Lynn discussing how he was afraid of using DMT, didn't want to. Um, and then the hurricane happened and so he was stuck in his apartment and figured kind of why not but there's an interesting segue here that that came up earlier in talking about McKenna the idea of us sort of always teetering at the edge of extinction or the end of the world or or great catastrophe this seems to be a fundamental part of McKenna's thought that we have no idea when it ends and, and what what do you guys how does that impact what's going on here the discussion uh we've had so far i mean i think that mckenna kind of thinks that through more widespread psychedelic usage that we would kind of be able to avoid that end and that also the end might not be an end in the way that we think of it, but maybe an end of, you know, just humanity as we know it. We might evolve into those uh, shape-shifting octopi who communicate uh, visually rather than linguistically, 
or auditorial audibly that's the word audibly um and that would be i think that's a large factor in what mckenna sees as being the end i think it i think it is just is more of an evolution kind of very much like like a rival like like jonah was saying earlier um but i'm getting a much more this seems much more apocalyptic than evolutionary to me it seems like the end the end setting the december 21st 2012 as a um for the sake of his theories as the day the world would end earlier in the introduction there's discussion of like always being one step removed from from the apocalypse site and i i think that it's weird interesting in how it mimics uh some religious eschatology of just never knowing when the world is going to end, when the day of judgment will come, and the impacts that one that that recognition has on one's life, McKenna seems to have a similar outlook from this wildly different source, and, and I, I don't know. I that it's really yeah. I, I think that's one of the really interesting parts too that it does end up linking back into something very similar to traditional religion and the experiences that people report uh, and the way that traditional religion makes people feel. Uh, do you want to speak a little bit more about the, those parallels or uh, Joe, do you have any thoughts on that? Or I, I um, full disclosure have never used any sort of psychedelics, but I feel like some of these insights that McKenna is, is describing I, I do think similar similar reflection or or discoveries about life I, I think religion has evoked similar things w- within me um I I think there is a connection there yeah and I think it's also kind of important to note too that uh part of mckenna's approach and especially with taking such an anthropological approach is that he is taking a fundamentally religious approach to it in a way just not a western uh judeo-christian religious approach he's very much pulling from the uh religious traditions and shamanistic practices of indigenous groups in the americas in particular um and in central and south america where they would would use uh ayahuasca and and rituals and uh peyote in the american southwest and things like that so there is such like a fundamental uh it it does evoke this it it makes sense that it is described in a very similar way to the judeo-christian religious experience uh do you think that's something fundamental to to the psychedelic experience or to the religious experience or just to how we describe uh significant and uh fulfilling spiritual experiences i i think in a certain sense that might just be the vocabulary the the concepts we have that are possible to describe it with i but i also am afraid that might be too reductionist and i think um, it's interesting that Lynn's discussing Richard Dawkins and some other similar thinkers uh, uh, um, early on in the book. 
and I think there are, and I don't know if these are parallels or there is a deeper connection. There has been discussion by people like Dawkins, which in some part I disagree with. In some part, I think there might be an element of truth to that there there's something instinctual or evolutionary or just some aspect of the psychological biology of humans requires us to believe it in certain types of concepts or, or requires a recognition of, of God or that that fulfills some psychological need of us. And it seems like the things McKenna and indeed uh other advocates of psychedelics and, and I think Huxley uh, is an example that they fill some natural need we have within us and, and that the sort of the, the necessity for these experiences both uh, in certain ways of describing religious experiences and and, and these uh, psychedelic ones seem seem to be the same the arguments people are giving for for why they're natural or instinctual are there any altering substances that are used in like christian religious practice there aren't right unless you count like wine i i don't think so uh i'm sure weird gnostic offshoots have used things in the past but I, and maybe this is part of the point when we were discussing the Lama earlier. Uh, meditation can have weird effects on on people, and I people have long uh, linked you could decalcify your pineal gland through Kundalini yoga, like Joe Rogan, right? <laughs> Well, but 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 actually, like deep meditation has long been described as approximating psychedelic experiences. I I think I think there's got to be something there. In the the ecstasy of the saints too, in a lot of ways, right? The like ecstatic experiences that saints report tend to be very similar too. Or am I mistaken about that? I, I don't have any comment on that, but I that might be the case. Um, yeah, and I, I think prayer and meditation are, are very similar um, things. So, I don't know. Sorry for getting us distracted on this. No, I don't think it's a distraction. I think it's an incredibly useful discussion, especially in sort of contextualizing this within a continuum of, of traditions and of... This not necessarily being this novel, uh, hedonistic 21st century, late 20th century idea of, you know, breaking free of time through ingesting substances, but that it is something sort of greater and might be a little bit more profound than just being so horribly alienated from the quote-unquote real world of needing an escape of some sort, you know? Well... I think just just to add a little little bit to I I really appreciated uh kind of the focus in uh you know the book that was given to uh what's her name Kathleen Harrison um mm-hmm. and her work with uh Salvia and uh the Mazatec people um I think kind of hearing about those uh, 
rituals and ceremonies and comparing that and knowing that, you know, they, uh, when they partook in those ceremonies, um, let's see, Taolin writes, um, uh, it was best because uh, Kathleen Harrison felt that after doing it for so long, uh, they felt that the spiritual and behavioral technology of relating to Salvia divinorum and other species in order to get the best result, which she defined as the most rebalancing of oneself so that one could do work in the world that is balancing also. So it seems a little less hedonistic and that it's like this total escape and break from time and reality and more like this is part of why we're here and this helps us do the things that we need to do on this earth. And that, that surprised me. It shocked me how anti-hedonistic McKenna seemed to be. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely in contrast to a lot of, I think, the pop psychedelic experiences and writers of the 60s. Yeah, and I think especially, too, if you even compare it to the like cannabis legalization rhetoric that you know it's 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 medicine is natural but also when it comes down to people just like getting high you know that's not like they they use that the more uh spiritual medicinal parts as kind of a shelter for for their hedonism as a as a as a mask for it in a way rather than as a an actual end you know so i think it's interesting to something like mckenna who later on in the book Talgund talks a lot more about uh, cannabis and just the ridiculous amount of cannabis that (laughs) McKenna would smoke every day but as being more of a spiritual sort of thing as a then and as a product productivity sort of thing and as a as a mood stabilizing sort of thing rather than just as a thing to do uh, for fun to veg out and eat some Doritos and um yeah do we want to I I'm still rereading this uh the one this one section of the the book that's that's really i think it's incredible and it's kind of hidden it's in the appendix it is the appendix i'm pretty sure um and it almost reads uh it doesn't feel like the rest of the book um and it seems like it's just a series of observations and discoveries and kind of mashing together, basically talking a lot about molecules and genetics, sciencey stuff, language, and then really getting concrete in um, two authors. One, Olaf Stapledon, who wrote a book called Star Maker that is described in the appendix. And, uh, um Jean is it yeah, Jean Reese, um, who uh Tao Lin decides to describe as writing Good Morning Midnight rather than I think arguably what she's better known for, uh Wide Sargasso Sea. Good morning midnight. It's so good. Yeah, I I mean I'm that that wasn't a dig to say like <laughs> one is better than the other but i think it is a very uh 
it is a tactful uh, choice um, for getting a specific message across that I felt was maybe I, I love this section, but the the dichotomy seemed a little lost on me. Um, hmm. In what and, way? Well, I I mean I've just always had. Um, I don't know. I think it paints it paints Olaf Stapledon as somebody who was able to imagine life beyond humanity and beyond everything that we know. Um, and this book, Star Maker, was published in 1937, um, and uh, Good Morning Midnight was published in 1939. So, kind of around the same time, but. Uh, Good Morning Midnight seems so closed in on itself and uh, collapsed and very kind of ego-driven and drawing parallels between, you know, Reese's lifestyle and I think is the character Sasha. I uh, can't that say sounds, I remember, but that sounds right. The main character of Good Morning Midnight, um, they lead very similar lifestyles. And uh, I think Reese uh, went on record in Paris Review in a 1979 interview uh, saying that, you know, she rarely wrote beyond uh, her kind of lived experience. Um and so I think Tao Lin is kind of using that to create these two dichotomies. Um, however, I think Reese's work in Wide Sargasso Sea is the exception to this. And this is really Wide Sargasso Sea is the first time that she's imagining life beyond herself. Um, mm. And while she did. Um, I'm pretty sure she was born in, well, I won't go into it, but, um, you know, it's these characters in the 19th century uh, that she has very little in common with. Uh, having her write as, uh, you know, Mr. Rochester from Jane Eyre and trying to embody that character um, is kind of her moment of looking beyond herself and trying to empathize with characters that she has never really spent the time working on previously. Mm. And instead in her other writing, it seems to be very just self-referential in talking about her own lived experience and projecting herself onto her characters. Right. I think part of what Silent's getting at with that too, um, he talks about later in the page on that with the section 56 this the appendix is broken into 64 sections which is the number of codons and dna or something like that it's structured like dna but the the quote that she has all of writing is a huge lake she called herself when the mirror trickles and said all that matters is feeding the lake i don't matter the lake matters you must keep feeding the lake she does he, he i think portrays that novel Good Morning Midnight as being one of the many uh, 108 billion, as he says in the next one, uh, different trickles of human experience in a way to kind of get into that lake and as being part of it um, rather than as being the whole thing, 
you know, kind of seeing Reese as, as understanding that as well in a a broader sense than than may origin it might might seem at first. I like that. I just um, read through it. I, I hadn't gone to it previously. This appendix is phenomenal. Thank you for, for pointing it out, Jonah. But the way it structurally builds up, like atoms slowly forming bigger organisms and then kind of becomes more granular uh, is really interesting, the structure throughout. And that the ending of it, I think is a really, a really nice finish to this book. I, I, I like this. I, I, it's good. Yeah, I think ultimately with with this appendix, the way it ends is very transcendent. You know, it's very uh, excited and optimistic compared. Uh, I think it sort of mirrors the structure of the book in a way too, uh, where he starts out with this kind of anxious, almost neurotic. Uh, Wikipedia-type biography of of one specific person and kind of builds out into this greater uh, multiplicity of, of these experiences into that final strange third-person section to this, uh, this appendix that is even broader and so much more expansive. And I think that's part of what he's trying to get at with with the benefit of the psychedelic experience of allowing one to kind of see in a bit more of a global perspective though of course that does bring us back to sort of where we started the conversation too with these descriptions of his trips are so personal that it almost feels, feels counter to that but I guess it might be more of an overall what's being taken away from the trips than the actual specific experience of being on the trips well, and the appendix gets this well. I, I think also the introduction with McKenna uh, does the same, that despite this huge diversity in, in human experience and the type of elements, atoms that exist in the world, there's this strange unity to our lives as a collective life as a concept biological and and theoretical and to art and building up literature art of any sort has this biological creative element to it i and and the the quote i don't know if it was i think you were just talking about from reese uh, about writing as a lake i I think is a great, great single image out of that. But this whole appendix is just great image after image after image. Yeah, and I think when it comes down to it, too, it's that uh, that title itself, right, Trip. I don't think it's necessarily even looking to give any answers or any solutions or say anything more than just that there's other ways to visualize it to be one of those... Uh, drops in the lake or whatever right it's all part of the it's all part of the journey man it's all it's all just one big trip isn't it and i i will say too uh i think this this book uh serves as a really good um antidote to uh you know i i think there's another rise in 
kind of new wave psychedelic usage and it's kind of becoming more common commonly accepted and, and in some ways it feels cheapened by people like michael Pollan, mm. uh who wrote have you read how to book? change your mind um no on principle i am not reading it um <laughs> only because it seems like he's doing it because it's cool now um and silicon valley started microdosing so now he can write a book about it but i mean that's not to say i don't think he has uh you know some good good thoughts in there i'm just not really interested in hearing from michael Pollan. i feel like if i'm gonna spend some time i would go back and read some of the inventive imaginative things said by terence mckenna especially after reading this book um but i i really think this this book serves as like just uh just kind of the the starting point um if you are interested in these you know psychedelic substances and uh research culture uh yeah i agree it's really yeah the bibliography is incredible lots of lots of great rabbit holes to go down um do you guys have any other other thoughts to anything else to speak on with this Terrence McKenna is really good at titling his work. <laughs> that, 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 that's not a profound thought, but um, he, he's great at coming up with expressive phrases. Mm, Eros and the Eschaton was the lecture that I listened to that was really pretty incredible. Um, it's on YouTube. Highly recommend it. I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got some issue with it, but calling uh, psilocybin the logos is certainly evocative. Uh, in search of the original tree of knowledge, that's a fantastic. And I, yeah, I, I am going to have to read some of his stuff. Yeah, the the YouTube lectures, I, I recommend them. There's there's a treasure trove in there. Cool. Well, Jonah, thanks a ton for joining us man yeah, yeah thanks for having me it's been it's been a lot of fun going on this trip yeah